0: I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and uh, glad to be here with you. Thanks for coming uh, on this uh, muggy monsoon weekend here in the mid-July prime vacation season. But we're glad you're here and excited to be able to share together with you God's Word. You have an outline that's available for you on the bulletin. You will find it of a great assistance, as I want to reference a couple of things on there. Just put it in your hands, because I know you can't remember everything that is set up here. But uh, we try to put as much as we can in your hands. We're in a book called First John. It's a letter that John wrote, and we call it First John. He didn't call it First John. We call it First John. And then he wrote a second letter. We call it Second John. And we see that he wrote a third letter called Third John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote the book we call The Gospel of John that tells the story of the life of Jesus Christ. And so he is a great, significant writer bringing to us God's truths. And this morning, I want to talk about are you living in the full confidence with Christ? Um, many years ago, when I was just a little kid, I might have been in the third or fourth grade. I remember speaking of the father's love, I remember my dad. Uh, he was a pastor and uh, served in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for 30 oh, some years, the same church. And I grew up in that church. And it was a great blessing to be there, be part of that. And I remember he was very hands on, very hands oriented, detailed, likes to work on things. Put our brick patio together, built a wood fence out there, uh, lots of projects. And one year he decided we should have a trailer. And so he bought a trailer, one of these, uh, Shasta-like trailers that, uh, he could sleep maybe four people in it. And we would use that and we would go on trips. And so he bought that Shasta trailer and he rented a paint sprayer thing, machine. And he painted that thing. He would tape it off. I remember seeing him tape it off. And so there'd be a little, like a lightning bolt going along the side. So it looks like we're going faster than we really are. And uh, so he put a lot of work into that thing. And then we hooked it up to the trailer or hooked it up to the car. I remember uh, many years ago, I still remember us going down to Huntington Beach in that trailer and uh, having a nice time in the parking lot and asphalt. It's just, it just can't get any better than that, you know. And uh, But I remember we we're going on one of the trips... And uh, everybody, we're loading up the trailer and getting everything all ready. And uh, we all had kind of our assignments. And my assignment was to go to the trailer after being hooked up. And as you might know about trailers, the trailers sit on this, this post, this big, thick, like two-inch metal post. And once you hook it up, then you got to get down there and crank that post so it comes up. So it doesn't hit the ground. Well, uh, Everything was hooked up, and we're just pulling out of the parking lot. And, you know, the parking lots kind of go dip, and they go like that. And just as we were going out that parking lot, I still remember my dad saying, David, did you remember to lift the post? And then, bang! (laughs) And I thought to myself, no, I didn't remember. I had one job, and I didn't do it. And when we hit that thing, man, it was a big, loud smack. And we went back, we stopped and looked at it, and the post was like this. It was like broken, like twisted. And you couldn't get it up, because it was so twisted. You can't go. You can't, because you're constantly going to be hitting it. So somehow we maneuvered the trailer to a guy named Jerry in our church, who's a mechanic. And he had a blowtorch, and he was torching that thing, and pounding that thing, and torching that thing, and pounding that thing, until we finally got it at least straight enough. We couldn't ever, we never did get it up high enough, but we got it high enough to at least take our trip. But I still remember watching Jerry torch it and pound it and try to get it right and my dad watching this and thinking all the work that he put into this thing to make it look nice, to have a vacation. And it would have been really easy for my dad to just simply stew at me and shame me and blame me, hold me accountable. You ruined our trip. You had one job. Why didn't you do it right? Been really easy for my dad just to really shame and blame and attack and diminish my character. But I still remember he never once did that. He says, well, let's just go, let's just go get it fixed. That's okay. We'll get it fixed. And those are moments. You know, how long ago was that? That was like, what, 20 years ago? Uh, so <laughs> it felt like yesterday, actually. Uh, but you have those moments, don't you, when you remember your childhood? Can you remember back then? you have those moments that are crystallized in your memory bank and they begin to cause like a stream of water. Your emotional and psychological and mental well-being are triggered off of those things. And if it's handled well, then the pathway of water is just healthy and strong. But if something comes along and just shames and blames and weakens and tarnishes and injures and wounds the heart then that stream of water starts taking a whole nother route and everything it hits is impacted by it there's a consequence and so it takes me back that i'm thankful that i didn't have perfect parents we're not perfect parents but i had parents that were well enough to help me to be able to grow in ways that i needed to grow and in that moment, I still remember those days, that moment, in that situation, my failure and my dad's response, it would have been really easy for me to lose confidence as a son, confidence in my relationship with a father, confidence that I have what it takes to do things right. could have been a totally different path that could have come out of that one seemingly small incident of life. And over time, those things begin to have their consequences. And so with that in mind, I'm intrigued by what John is writing. Confidence. He wants us to have confidence in a holy God that calls us to righteousness, but that we have confidence that we can still keep going before Him even when we fail, that He still wants us to have confidence. So let me read the text with that theme in mind. That's, I believe, where John is taking us on his route, as he describes it in First John 2:28. And again, this imagery that John has of us as children, that family theme that John constantly comes back to. He talks about fathers and young men and children. Here he describes it again in verse 28, 2:28. "Now little children, that's us. We go to the Father, we are children of the Father." Abide in Him, or Jesus, so that when He appears, and here's this phrase where I'm going to build the message on, we may have confidence. Confidence. And not shrink away from Him and shame at His coming. John had a big emphasis on the second coming of Jesus. He thought He's coming any minute now says, I don't want you to live in a shame-based society as children of the Father. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of Him. Again, this imagery of giving birth to these children, us, who are the children of the Father. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, again, second coming, He's coming back, we'll be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. Jesus is sinless. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And then he concludes with this verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. There's two families, children of God, children of the devil. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor the one who does not love the brother. And so let me break that down. I think that the, the theme that I see John playing off of is this beautiful theme of, of how we can have confidence and then he builds on that. What Christ wants for us is to have full confidence in him. Again, verse 28. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence, not shame based Christianity, where we're always feeling we are we are totally inadequate. God doesn't want us to live that way and not shrink away from him and shame at his coming. The word shrink and the word shame is the same word. So he says, I don't want you to shame away from him in shame at his coming. So when you use a word two times in in one little phrase, it's a significant part of what John is speaking to. He says, I don't want this shame and this guilt and I'm unworthy I'm on such a low life. I'm such a worm. He says, I don't want you to live that way with the prospect that He might come to you any day. Abide in Him. This word confidence, kind of an interesting word that I, when I looked at it, I thought this doesn't sound like confidence, but the word made up a couple of words like pos in the Greek meaning all and uh, racist, which means to speak. All speech. And confidence for God is where I can, in boldness, speak to Him without fear of reprisal. Where I can go before Jesus, even as I fail, I may not have screwed up the post. As like whatever those things are for us, I can still go to the Father through the Son and have confidence and speak boldly and clearly and openly and honestly that these are the troubles, these are the problems, these are the issues, these are the things I'm talking and thinking about, Lord. He says, I want you to have full confidence to come with me with anything and tell me anything. There are a lot of us who grew up in homes where we couldn't tell our parents half the things we thought or did because we would be shamed if they knew. Well, God says, I want to know it all because I know it all. So I don't want you to have the ability to say it all to me unreservedly speak to that. Now, here's what I put on the Digging Deeper for your continuing education after today. I went through the Bible and found where that word confidence is used. Why is confidence so important? This, this is relevant in the, the mainstay of spiritual walk before God. But candidly, it's relevant if you're a parent or a grandparent. To help those little children, that John calls us all, to grow up with confidence in the relationship. Notice what confidence does. Just listed some of these as you see where the word is used. Confidence to overcome a world that undermines our lives and values. You notice the word is used with Peter in Acts 4. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazing. These guys that didn't have no similar education. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having me with Jesus. Suddenly confidence gives me the capacity to speak boldly for the claims of Jesus. When I live in confidence, when my parents pass confidence to me, when God gives me that, I can speak boldly. Confidence before God when we lose heart. Ephesians 3.11, this was in accordance with the eternal purposes which he carried out in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and confidence. We have confident access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulation. We have confidence even when I feel like I may lose heart. We have confidence when I feel weak or inadequate. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That's Jesus. But the one who has been tempted in all things as we are, Jesus did that. Yet He did it without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence... In other words, I go to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and help in time. I go to Him and say, Jesus, these are my aches. These are my wounds. These are my hurts. These are my problems. These are my sins. These are my issues. I come before You and speak boldly and confidently about the state of my life because I know Christ as the loving Father that I have in heaven and You, the Son. You are one who can receive from me. That So I go to you with confidence. I don't cower in shame. Confidence when I pray. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask and receive from Him. I have confidence that God, you hear my prayers. You will respond to my prayers. And confidence when I feel fearful and unloved. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. And the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. We're going to be talking about that here in the weeks ahead. But we have confidence at that day of judgment, because He's caring for us. So I just want to help us to understand, this is a significant word that is used repeatedly in Scripture to help us to live a life that's not shame-based and blame-based, but is actually liberating. That even if you had a parent that didn't build confidence in you, you have a God that seeks for you to have and live in the full confidence of Christ and not fear His coming, but enjoy who He is. How do we do that? Here are the things that John writes about, I believe, that helps us to have that kind of confidence. How do we get there? We experience the great love of our Heavenly Father. We just sang about the great love of our Heavenly Father. We really understand that He is a loving Father. And every time I speak on this or every time we address this, I recognize that many of us have earthly fathers where they have tarnished us. The, the, the stream of water, it, it's going crooked. It's not going where you want it to go because the earthly father has done some things that has destroyed the confidence So therefore, when I think that I can go before the Father in heaven, I only see my earthly Father. There is a blockage there in the the flow of water. And I need people to come along and help me get beyond that. Notice what John writes. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. And that's the challenge. See, God's righteous. He's perfect. And He asks you and me to be perfect. And that's inhibiting, isn't it? Think, wow, I've got to be as righteous as God is. I'm never as righteous as God is. So that's a little, little bit of a feeling of I lack confidence. But he says, but but listen. And he continues on. In, in, the, in the writings that John wrote, there's no break between chapter 2 and chapter 3. He just keeps going. So we're just keeping going. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Even though He is righteous, He doesn't want you to feel shame because He has a love that He's bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, and as such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. The world doesn't get us, but we can get God. And we can understand Him. There's a great story that I remember I used many years ago that triggered in my mind when I read this. Some of you have been here at Calvary Church for many years, I remember a fellow by the name of Daryl Craft who used to teach one of the Sunday school classes here, moved up to, I think, Idaho or somewhere. Darrell had a brother named David Craft, and they both had a father who was a pastor up in the Bay Area. Well, David Craft was a big six-foot-two, 200-pound athletic guy, went to Denver Seminary, I uh, was involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, an outstanding spokesman, man, and servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, doing good for God. Well, David Kraft then, in his uh, younger years or midlife years, uh, came down with cancer, and they did all that they could, I believe, to help him, and and he shrunk from 200 pounds to 80 pounds, six foot two, 80 pounds. what cancer does to the potty. And it was in that closing era of his earthly life that David and his father uh, drew together. And here's a little bit of that. When he was about ready to pass from this life into eternity, he asked his father to come into his hospital room. Lying there in the bed, he looked up and said, Dad, do you remember when I was a little boy... How you used to just hold me in your arms close to your chest. See how those thoughts of our childhood keep bouncing around in our brain. David's father nodded. Then David said, Dad, do you think you could do that for me one last time? His father nodded. He went down to pick up his 32-year-old six-foot-two son, 80 pounds, and held him close to his chest so that his son's face was right next to his father's face. They were eyeball to eyeball. Tears were streaming down both faces. The son simply said to the father, Thank you for building the kind of character into my life that can enable me to face even a moment like this. That's the father's love. a son that in weakness and in brokenness and death the father's love so impacts and draws close and the father in heaven that jesus that john is speaking of that father in heaven wants to give to you and to me that same love he doesn't want us to be inhibited by this relationship he wants to come face to face even tear to tear that we would in confidence come and receive a love from Him that is not conditional but unconditional, that He never stops loving us even when we fail. He, he loves to continue that journey as we walk together with Him. So I encourage us to walk in that same kind of a loving relationship that He would help us with. Here are some of the things that comes from that verse. He gives us His righteousness through a spiritual birth. That's how much He loves us. We were born into His life. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. He calls us His children, that we would be called the children of God. We are are His his offspring. We have gained His inheritance. He he has everything in heaven that we will gain from Him. We are part of a living trust of God's heaven. He invites us into a unique relationship and experience with Him. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. It's unique in that, unlike the world, we get it, but they don't. Now, something happens when you become a child of the Father. You begin to be like the Father. We'll see that as it plays out here in a moment. Here's a little baby. Anybody recognize who he is? Well, it is me, yes. When I was a little boy, and uh, this is on the uh, grounds. uh, Some of you old-timers, I'm an old-timer. Uh, if you remember the Church of the Open Door, downtown Los Angeles, uh, this is at one of the Church of the Door uh, outdoor picnics that we had way back there. I was an infant at the Church of the Open Door. My dad was an assistant to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And uh, as I've said before here, when I was that age, just after I recently came to Calvary Church some years ago, I had a woman come to me and says, I used to change your diapers when you were in the nursery at Calvary Church. And that's a rather unnerving... You want to be transparent, but I'm not sure you want to go that far. (laughs) So there I was, and I don't know what I was thinking about, but I think I was looking it up and says, I love dogs. Because then I had another picture. That's a cat. That was, (laughs) I think, what it was... I think that's when it began. And there's John and Joe Mitchell in their mid-life years at Bethany Bible Church. And there we are in the pictorial directory of my high school years. When you look at those pictures, and I think, and I was looking at that, I said, you know what, I look more like my mother, and my sister looks more like my dad, and she wouldn't like that. Um, (laughs) But when you look at who you look like, you think you're going to become like them. I can't tell you how many times uh, we have my niece living with us, and my daughter say to me, you know, That's, that sounded just like granddaddy when you sneezed. You clear your throat just like granddaddy did. Y- you begin to get, don't you, you all been there, you know what I'm talking about? You, you begin to have some of those same qualities and characteristics and traits, and they're not necessarily good, but you, you capture them because you're a child of the parents. I'm a child of John and Joe. I am becoming more like them all the time. And in some ways that's wonderful. And there are other ways as well. And what God is saying is that you can have confidence because you should become more like the Father. In fact, that's where he takes us now. Because I want to live with this expectant hope to become more like Jesus. He is the one who makes me give birth. I have been born in him. I grow in confidence before Christ so that he can heal my imperfections. Live with this expectant hope that he's coming back. And this is what he's talking about in verses 2 and 3. So he builds on this becoming like the Father, like the Son. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. So we are born and we're growing. We haven't really got the finished product yet. We know that when He appears, when Jesus comes back, remember, John saw Jesus the first time. He ate with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, they are told by the angels in Acts 1 that Jesus is coming back. John and the apostles and the church in the first century, they all thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. That's what they believe. That's why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4. No, He's coming back. We don't know when He's coming back. Stop selling your stuff. He says, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. See, we want to become more like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So have this hope fixed on the return of Jesus. He's going to take my imperfections and make them perfect. He's going to craft me to become more like Him. And so therefore I am purifying myself. And what I like to say is that uh, getting ready to die, getting ready to die. We should do all that we can, so that we have to change as little as possible, right? Purify yourself just as he is pure, so that the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the righteousness of Christ—it is so part of my life that God says, "Remember, remember uh, on the happy days. Do you remember the show Happy Days?" Remember anyone ever watch that? you probably too pure to watch TV. But uh, remember when Fonz, remember Fonz? Fonz would walk into the, the men's restroom at that, whatever that restaurant thing was. He walks into the restroom, he takes his comb out and he's going to comb his hair and he goes, oh, good enough. Remember that? It's trivia, I know it's small. But, but it's that thing, he walks in to try to make it better and he says, it's as good as it's going to get. And I say for us in our character that we walk in the image of Christ and He is constantly shaping us and we have so much that is so much like Him. We have this anticipation. You know, when, uh, when I'm home and Joy's out and, and Joy's uh, coming home, I can always tell when the garage door opens. I'll tell you why. Because we have this little Scottish terrier. Her name is Izzy. And Izzy can be laying on the couch. Izzy always gets the best spot on the couch so I'm in my chair and Izzy's on the couch and then suddenly she'll perk up and those Scotty tear ears that just perk up and she's looking all around I look over what's going on and she's she looks down where the garage door is and she's listening and then the garage door goes up the car door slams shut the garage door does down she jumps on the, off the couch runs all the way around to the hallway that takes you into the garage and she stands there and the little tail is going like this, you know, just like crazy. And then Joy walks through the door, and you would think it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I'm thinking I'm watching her so excited. I mean, we can be gone like five minutes, and it's like, whoa, you're back! It's great. But I watch her in this anticipation. Wait, I hear the garage door. She looks at me, she looks for a sign. I said, oh, Izzy, stop it. And then she jumps So I think of that, and I think about this verse when he talks about this. I want you to know that when he appears, we should be like him because we see him just as he is. Everyone has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself. I want that kind of life. I want to learn from my dog. And I I thought that could be kind of a pretty mundane illustration. C.S. Lewis used dogs as his illustrations this too, so I feel like I was in relatively good company there. But I want to have that same hope and anticipation that when I see signs of the return of Jesus, that I say, Lord, is it now? Is it today? Am I doing what I want and should be doing so that I am ready? Like a bride at a wedding. We're the bride. He's the groom. He's coming back for us, the bride, to take us to the home that he's prepared for us. John 14, this is the Jewish wedding. A bride that comes to the wedding and looks like she just walked out of the garden pulling weeds with dirt and filth and rags and walks up the aisle to meet her groom, we would say there's something wrong with her. She needs therapy. What does a bride do? She spends all this enormous sums of money for a dress she's going to wear once in her life. And then she comes because she wants to be ready for the groom. John is speaking to that. Purifying to be pure, to be perfect. Jesus said he'll come and do that, he'll transform this body of our humble state and conformity to the body of His glory by the exertion of power that is even to subject all things to Himself he wants to make us perfect physically we're not perfect yet but spiritually he wants this in process now how to grow in our confidence we recognize how sin destroys our confidence we understand God's love for us we anticipate Christ's return we get ready for that but then there's a sin factor that destroys our confidence sin destroys confidence before God 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That's one of the definitions of sin. It's lawlessness. It's doing what I want to do, not what God's laws tell me to do. Let me put it, I was thinking about this, put it into a a little bit different venue of thinking. Many of you are acquainted, uh, if you read anything in psychology or relationships, relationships. There are any number of books on boundaries. You've got to have boundaries. We we hear that. And there's great validity to a lot of what is written. I was thinking about this and I put this little phrase together Lawlessness erases God's healthy boundaries for our growth. And so as kids, we grow up and. Oh, we rebel. He won't let me stay out late. I've got a curfew. I can't drive the car when I want to. Got all these boundaries that parents put down. Why do they do that? Here's what a psychologist said why parents need boundaries. And I want to put this into the frame of God's boundaries. Parents need to set boundaries because it teaches kids self-discipline. It keeps kids safe. It keeps kids healthy. It key- teaches kids to cope with uncomfortable feelings it really limits and shows kids that you care we do those things if you're a good parent you sort of have a sort of a natural intuitive understanding of that as well as maybe therapy and book reading that has taught you on that we understand those things well let's put that into the framework of god and his word what does god tell us about how we should live moral and pure lives What are those things that I should not do? For example, you take the Ten Commandments and you put it up against this list. God says, don't commit adultery. Why shouldn't we commit adultery? Because it hurts me and it hurts someone else. And uh, when I refuse to commit adultery, it communicates that I care about my wife or my husband. You see, we have these, God built these boundaries for a reason. Because he's a father who bestows on us his love, and he gives to us a hope of purity in the coming of Christ. So he gives us boundaries of his laws. And now today, we have people who want to erode those laws, to take away those boundaries. Joe and I have friends, and we have seen, and you probably have too. But we've seen such horrendous results of kids and families that didn't have healthy boundaries, didn't say this is wrong and this is right, turned a blind eye to behavior that is inappropriate, and just refused to set healthy boundaries. And now people grow up in that context and they don't know how to reason. They don't know how to do right and wrong They don't know how to understand and have limitations and discipline in life. And there's an unhealthiness to the existence. So when God says sin is lawlessness, He's saying to us, I've given to you boundaries because I love you. I want to keep you safe. I want you to be healthy. I want you to grow up with self-discipline. I want you to understand that these things are for your good. I remember a long time ago when I was riding in the car with my dad and we had a box of Oreo cookies sitting here. And it's like meth, you know? And I eat one. I just couldn't stop. I was practically eating the whole package of Oreos. You know, they come in these columns, you know? And then finally my dad looked over and I've never seen him do this before. He says, David, stop already. I was just gorging myself of Orioles. I was just blindly oblivious to the destruction of of cancer-causing chemicals of all the, whatever that white stuff is, you know? Why did my dad do that? He says, David, it's unhealthy. It's not good for you. I'm going to stop you because it's better for you if I set a boundary. So he, he... he doesn't let me, he, I could go on and on about all the times he's stopped me and boundaries. And, and I say, well, thank you, John Mitchell, that you're a father that understood that lawlessness is sin. And lawlessness breeds Destruction. So remember that when you have the challenge of people saying, Oh, God just wants to take my fun away, He wants to keep things from me, He doesn't love me, He doesn't allow me to do this, I can't do that, I want to do this. We begin to reinterpret Scripture so that I can do what I what God says don't do. And when I do what God tells me not to do, it leads to further destruction. So sin is lawlessness, but God loves us by giving us boundaries, spiritual boundaries. How to grow in our confidence? Yes, Jesus, to take away your sins then you abide in Christ to remove and to remain sinless. God wants us to just to take the simple pleasure, and this is so basic to us. You know that when He appeared to take away sins in Him, there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen or knows Him. None of us are sinless. But what He's saying is that when you ask Jesus to take away your sins, say, God, I'm a failure. I have sinned in my thought or in my deeds. I did things I should not have do, done. Forgive me. Jesus takes that sin away and it's like it never was there. And there are not some sins. He says, oh, I'm going to make you suffer for that one. You know that, That's really a nasty one. I'm going to really lower the boom on you. I'm, I'll take it away in about a month. And then once you've suffered enough, I'll... No. He says, Oh, I love to take away. I, I died to take away. I, it cost me my life to take away those sins. But then I need to abide in him, stay close to him. Thinking about parent and childing, childhood. Imagine you're a uh, junior in high school and you just got your car and you're taking this girl out on your first date or your 10th date or your 20th date. And you go to a, a park and it's dark and it's just the two of you. Bad things can happen, right? But imagine you on your 20th date and you're taking your girlfriend out on a date and you're, you go to the park. And your dad's sitting in the back seat. Do you think, the, you think it, it would change? you think the behavior would change? You bet it would. I know it would have been for me. Well, he's talking about that abide in him. Jesus is right there. And he helps me to not do those things I shouldn't do. So how do you grow in confidence? You turn from the deception of Satan to the deliverance through Christ. Here's 1 John 3, 7 through 9. There's a lot here. We're not going to get into all of it. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. And again, I've talked about it before, planeo, the word to get planet. Deception is not where He stops me in my tracks. Deception is where He changes my tracks so that I'm going around the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. No one who practices righteousness is righteous. But the one who practices righteousness, sorry, is righteous. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. That is true in Genesis 3. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. He wants to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now he's talking about we don't practice sin as a mainstay of life and that we never repent, we never confess. No, when I practice sin... I confess sin, and I come back, and he takes away the sin. I am abiding in Jesus. And I'm walking with him again. But no one who is born of God practices sin and says, I don't care about my sin. I continue to sin, and I'm going to sin the rest of my life in this sin that I should confess, and I refuse to confess. I refuse to be obedient. I refuse to pursue righteousness. God says, that's, that's not my child. That's not a seed of Christ. did not have my spiritual genes in him something wrong there because the seed abides in him he cannot sin he is born of God I should look more and more like the father That's what he's talking about so I put on the backside and I don't have time to go through it but I just want to draw your attention to it what are some of the works of the devil in the bottom half of this I hope that you will take the time to read through and based on these scriptures for example just uh, just one the very first one in genesis 3 1 i've talked about this before the work of the devil is to number one question the truthfulness and relevance of god's word and then in quotes after that i quote the very first word satan has ever recorded to have said indeed did god say aren't we living in those times i want to do this god didn't mean that you're interpreting it wrong God didn't say that. I can do whatever I want to do. That's, that's how he deceived Eve. Eve yeah, God never said you shouldn't eat from that apple, that tree, whatever. You You can do whatever you want. You would be like God if you do it. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for you. God's holding out on you. The very first work of Satan, and then you can read the rest there. These are the ways that he works. And the more you understand how he works, the more you understand his deception. And we avoid it. And then finally, we need to grow... So I ask the question, so who's your daddy? 1 John 3, 10. By this, your children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. We'll talk about loving your brothers next week. But here you have the children of God and the children of the devil. And who do we look most like? Do you have the Father in heaven as your heavenly Father? Because you're either of the heavenly Father through Christ or you're of the devil notice that he doesn't sort of have this middle zone where i'm sort of sort of with the devil but sort of with jesus i'm sort of spiritual sort of religious sort of sort of this middle gray ground of religious type spirituality but not really saved and maybe i'm saved i don't No, it's clear there are two camps there are two families you're either in the family or you're not jessica and kirstie are either our children or they're not and they're clearly our children we can't stop them from being our children they are our children they don't wonder am i a child of david and joy mitchell i, I don't know no they know that when you're a child of god when you're saved you know you're a child of the father you know that john says that at first john these things i've written to you in order that you might know that you're born again so i'm asking who's your daddy Are you a child of the Father in heaven? Or if not, then you're the child of the devil. And you may not like that. Choosing to not believe something doesn't make that thing untrue. So I invite you, if you don't know that you're a child of the Father through Christ, taking away your sins, trusting in Him, having full confidence that when He comes, you'll be purified as He is pure. If you don't know that, I want to invite you to know that so that you become like your father. This is why I was intrigued by this picture. Here's Matt Doan and his dad. When you see those two together, you say, wow, father-son, right? It looks so much. And here's Matt with his son (laughs) passing it on. I want us to know that we're of the Father. So let me pray and invite any who'd like to believe in Jesus now. Help us, Father, as we come before you now. And if you're here today and you don't know if you're a child of the Father where Jesus has taken away your sins and you're anticipating his return, living and seeking purity in anticipation of that coming back, you're not living in confidence of his coming for you for eternity in heaven that I invite you to make this decision now. Pray with me and say, God in heaven, I want to become your child. I ask Jesus to take away my sins. I confess I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus as the one who can forgive me now. Thank you. Help me to live for him in all I do and say and look forward to his return in my heavenly home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.